Hey, one thing you'll notice about today's podcast is we sound a lot better. Wanted to give a quick shout out to KPLU, who is allowing us to shoot in their studio today. So, yeah, thanks to KPLU. And on with the show. Now, do you feel like Fraser? I feel like you're Fraser. Maybe I'm Ross. This is Design School. Sky Ichikawa, thank you so much for uh, being on our uh, podcast today. Uh, thanks for having me. So we um, we had a little bit of a uh, of a hiccup, and we're not able to continue the the process in which we usually do, in, in which we have the previous interviewee um, recommend someone, and uh, Megan Bailey, who will be on in a future episode, just couldn't make it this month. So Chad and I brainstormed a couple people and uh, you came up to the top of our list and so we don't really have a starting question okay but since uh, chad knows you best i think i'm gonna leave it to him to start the first question and then we're gonna uh, go from there and see what happens sounds great okay yeah scott so i guess one of the reasons i uh, proposed your name um, as people to talk to was it seemed like you had a really interesting story and um at least from what i know about you so one thing that i personally am curious is about is um what what made you decide to go back to school and especially when you did why did you feel like it was an opportune time and maybe start off with you know where you're at in life right now to give context <laughs> uh, that sounds good um that's a really good question and one that I've been kicking around for a long time, even while I'm in grad school. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have 14 years of experience. So I graduated from undergrad in 2001. And so even back then, I had planned on going to grad school. And so I took the GRE right out of my undergrad. I uh, I double majored as a graphic design student and an art education student. And so I had planned on teaching, and so I knew sooner or later if I wanted to teach, I should get my master's degree. But then, as you will probably find out, and JP, you might already know, it's like once you get out into the real world, suddenly things just start flying by. You suddenly get married, and then you're working, and you're happy with work. And then all of a sudden, I think I was uh, running my business with one of my friends from college, and then eight and a half years passed, and then I realized if I didn't do it now, I probably would never do it. Mm-hmm. And so that kind of sparked it. I had a good conversation with my wife about it, and she was like, well, I'll support you, and I understand, because it is a big drastic change from what we were doing before. Mm-hmm. And then I just took the plunge and did it. Yeah. Um, I guess, how did that plunge feel? <laughs> You know, it felt, I mean, it's a lifestyle change, yeah. I imagine. And I feel like with the eight and a half years I was running my business was the longest I've ever held a job before. Mm-hmm. And so it was kind of like, kind of freeing. Like, I don't know, like, if you've ever been doing something for so long and it got so comfortable, but then it was almost like I had a lot of responsibilities with my business partner, the people I was working with, to suddenly be like, I don't have that responsibility anymore. Yeah. And then I'm really just responsible for myself and my future. And that was kind of nice for mm-hmm. sure. Mm-hmm. One of the things that interests me is that you have a family and you're going to grad school. <laughs> um, well, he's kind of starting a family while he's in grad school. That, yeah. That, yeah. That's what I, that's what I mean. Yeah. Um, 
how do you find the balance between a family life and a grad school 24 hours, seven days a week life? The first year, I think, was the hardest. And that, that, that was like the hard thing. Like I could study. Like I could spend as much hours. Like I would stay up through the middle of the night working on stuff. But it was always trying to find that balance. And I'm a big person about like I want to have some balance in my life. And I felt like I totally lost it that first year. And then during that first year is when Andrea got pregnant. My wife got pregnant. Mm-hmm. And I remember being more nervous about telling the professors than telling my friends and family. And I was like, this is going to be interesting because, like, they, there's a lot of pressure from the faculty there. And they want – there's a small group and they want you to be successful. And I'm – I'm really happy with my the chair that I'm working with who's super supportive of me, super supportive of me and the way that it's kind of worked out has been actually really good cuz I can actually without having classes this year since I've had my son in December, I can actually spend time with him in the mornings and then not have to rush off to school for an 8:30 class mm-hmm. and then I can kind of help Andrea get some sleep if she lost some in the middle of the night. And then I get to hang out with Theo, watch him grow up, but then I can just kind of go heads down, but I end up working throughout the middle of the night. Mm-hmm. I think in the long run, though, I always think there's an end site for my thesis. You know, it's like I'm really looking forward to the summer where I can just be like, oh, I can wake up in the morning and not think about my thesis for once. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I know when I was in grad school, one of the things that our advisors had told us is that there is that lull and somewhat depression right after you'd finished your thesis project and that you need to dive into something else. It doesn't need to be as excruciating or as uh, robust, but just something so that way you, you keep the momentum and keep the, uh, the, um, the energy and the activity that you currently have. Yeah. I'm wondering if that for you is going to be fatherhood and, and family life to, to be able to kind of catch up on what will be your reality for the rest of your life. Ever, so I've been talking to a few studios about my next steps, and that is what I've been telling them. I'm like, I'm going to need to step back from design, and I just want to kind of focus on Theo for a little bit. And I don't, I'm not sure how long that's going to be, but it would be really nice. Andrew's going to be full-time working, mm-hmm. and then I can just be full-time father for a little bit, and he will be my project. <laughs> so even when I was presenting at the last place that I was talking to, that was like, what's my next big project is called Project Theo. And that's my son. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess the the next question that I'm curious is about is um, telling us a little bit more about the process of grad school for you. Okay. And then what were, maybe what were your expectations going into it? And then what was different? And how do you feel like it's prepping you for when you come out? Oh, wow. That's, that's, a bit, that's a lot. That's a lot of questions in one. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Um. Going in, I knew it was going to be a challenge. Mm-hmm. Um, I had expectations where I felt like I'd be a little bit more mentored by a certain faculty. Yeah. And then that didn't actually pan out the way I'd planned. Not in a bad way. I think it just changed what I expected from it. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It. I, I have to say that it's not what I expected in the long run. I think it's been a really good challenge for me to think about things. And I think... I'm a very much a team-oriented designer that going into this thesis year has been uh, kind of a shock to my system to be, like, in my own little thesis bubble and then mm-hmm. 
kind of getting advice from other people and then some people being like, don't talk to other people, just kind of do your work. And then people like, no, you need to talk to other people. So there's this weird kind of like, I'm so into it, but other people are kind of partially a little bit into it. And, but it's like, I don't feel like I have that support that a normal team would have. Um, I think that's what I struggle with the most, how I'm going to, how it's preparing me. I think, I think it's made me reevaluate kind of how I kind of approach design in a certain way too. How so? I think a lot of it's like, uh, before I, I'll be honest, when I went back to design, like grad school, I, I was, I got pretty frustrated with a lot of design. And like as a designer, like I critique myself and I critique the work that we do a lot. And I was kind of disappointed with how things were kind of turning out. And I think bigger picture and I maybe it's me still being like a youthful, idealistic designer. Like I want to have this awesome impact on things. Mm -hmm. And then I went to grad school and I was like, well, this is my opportunity to do that. And I think uh, it's actually opened up some opportunities within the different communities, the different people that I want to be interacting with rather than just straight the clientele that I was working with. And I think it's kind of a different perspective, too, on the type of design work I'd like to do Yeah, coming out of like grad school versus what mm-hmm. I was doing before. So what kind of design work would that be then? Uh, sure. Um, before, I would be work. Uh, okay, so started off. Yeah. I ended up doing a lot of work with advertising agencies, and that was kind of soul-sucking to me. Yeah. Um, there was good things about it, and I worked with some really great people, but then there was times when I was like, I was promoting things that I would never yeah. buy or promote. But they were mm-hmm. paying us really good money. And then as I kind of evolved as a designer, I got into more of the product side because I was like, well, if I'm not happy with the things that I'm helping sell, can I be part of the teams that are actually making the products? Mm-hmm. And even that kind of got to that point where I was like, yes, I feel like I was working on some really good products, but then it'd be nobody's going to actually ever see these products. And they don't actually help in the long run. Like it's yeah. really good thought ideas around what design could do for these people. But if it's never implemented, then it's only like ideas still in my head. Yeah. So part of me feels like getting into that position where I can actually design stuff that actually impacts stuff and like getting out there more than just thinking about stuff and telling people what could be awesome is actually doing what could be awesome. Mm-hmm. So I feel like as a designer, sometimes you end up getting a little typecast. Like mm-hmm. if you get really good at something and then somebody, people will just be like, well, we just want you to keep doing that same kind of thing. And then after a while you're like, actually there's so much more to me than just that. Yeah. And then I think that, with grad school, it gives you kind of that opportunity to be like, no, actually, these are other parts of me that you've never gotten to see in my professional experience. But there's way more to Scott than just whatever ad agency work or whatever product making I've been doing. Mm-hmm. So, Did anyone find that funny type cast design? No. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm guessing it's some of your thesis project work in, sure. on your website. And... Um, the illustration style, yeah. and looking at that compared to your your work, I guess in advertisement, how do you feel that that transition happened from uh, what you were doing for corporate America versus what you are doing now for yourself and yeah. for education? Um, the illustration work. When I did my undergrad, I did a lot of illustration stuff, and I think that's what kind of brought me into the design realm. Was I was very hands on, like drawing and. 
I've always kind of grown with that because a lot of my clients really came to me for a lot of the storytelling. So I did a lot of like storyboarding out ideas, especially when I was working on the, with the product teams. It would be like, well, we have these ideas. How are we actually going to show them when we don't actually have a product? And like coming up with creative ways to show it. Um, as it's evolved, I think it's I think it's just one of those skill sets and the crutch that I always have. Like I always want to be like, I can't take really good photos all the time of stuff. And maybe they're just ideas. Mm-hmm. And I think I, I like it. I think there's a fun kind of different thing that I could do. And mm-hmm. I kind of nice way of showcasing that I don't just do like super clean, clean stuff. Or even back in the day, I, you probably looked at some of my stuff from mm-hmm. when I was in Lit Fuse where it's super like, uh, I don't know, it's like over the top weirdness, like almost over design mm-hmm. to where I am now where some of it is so clean. And it's like this super far side of things. But it's almost like. Some people, like I have a friend that jumped into design and he's like just illustration and he does gig posters and that's all he does. And pe- like that's his style. That's what people know him for. And in my mind, I kind of don't want that. Like I want to be able to do so much. Like I'm curious about different things. So like even if you look at my illustration styles, I don't think I ever show just one predominantly. Like I'll be jumping around because I'll be like, ooh, that would be an interesting way to show my ideas. I think it would be really interesting to just talk about kind of what you're in the weeds of right now yeah whether you may or may not want to talk about that (laughs) i don't know you thought this was going to be a break from that right yeah yeah. um pop quiz here we go tell us about what you're doing for your thesis and what that process is like just because or one reason i wanted to talk to you was we haven't talked to anybody besides ourselves that have been in a master of design program yet and i think it would be really interesting for people to just kind of hear what that is like and what w- at least one person has done for their thesis, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, depending on which faculty member you talk to, mm-hmm. either I have done something really cool or I have really screwed up doing a thesis. Um, <laughs> so it'll be inter- like I'll tell you my story. So I'm on my committee. At, there's the research side of me and then there's the doing side of me. And then there's trying to figure out that balance of I want to do a lot and then I want to research to a certain extent, but I don't know how much time I have to do that. So mm-hmm. as I started off, my hypothesis was around uh, news consumption around, amongst uh, college students and the idea that the way that digital trends have been going, it's harder for college students to really understand how much news that they're consuming and actually having that kind of healthy news consumption diet. And so there's actually, as I got into it, it was one of those things where it's something I was interested in. And then going into it, you realize there's actually a lot of stuff being done in that area. And I think that going into thesis, it's one of those things where it's like, do you start from somewhere that you kind of know a lot? Mm -hmm. Or do you start somewhere where you don't know a lot? And then you do all this work and you realize, oh, man, somebody's already done all this work, which is good, you know, because then you don't have to keep going down this route and you can kind of piggyback off that stuff. Um, as I went forward, uh, I, I have a I don't have like a strict design process, yeah. but for this one, I spent a lot of time like defining why students don't like to read or choose not to read or consume news, mm-hmm. and then from there, I found like challenges and opportunities within that space. Yeah, and then so I think I have six main reasons. They're like uh, students are too busy, which is an obvious excuse that a lot of students will go through. Um, They don't care. Uh, They're scared. They're overwhelmed. 
And and it was funny. I was talking to one of the students uh, when I was hosting a, an event, and they were like, it's pretty much like you're going through these stages of grief. You know, you're like, at first, you're like, oh, I'm just too busy. Like, I'm really too busy. But then when they kind of look at themselves, they're like, actually, I'm not really that busy. I'm just kind of – that's the first thing that pops into my mind. And then they're like, ah, you know, it doesn't really relate to me. And then like, actually, it does kind of relate to me somewhat, you know, like when you actually <laughs> yeah. think about these topics. And it's, mm-hmm. it's been fascinating. So like from those, I kind of found these three opportunity areas that I wanted to focus on. And what they were, if I figured, I figured if we could have the students acknowledge the importance of the news, be more self-aware of their consumption habits, and then from that, figure out ways to help them engage with the news kind of within their daily lives. Mm-hmm. And then I worked in kind of this weird cave that I call my office basement. <laughs> and I brainstormed about, I think I ended up with a little over 30 ideas. Um, most of them were garbage. And then I kind of proposed all these ideas to my committee. And they're like, that's great. That's great. That's great. Um, they only like, you know, they thought everything was great. No, they're, they're like, that's great. But it doesn't really like, tell like this whole story like none of it will actually solve anything or help the big picture of things and so what i ended up doing was looking at all these different ideas how could i actually spread it out a little bit so like maybe i don't tackle with tackle these issues with one idea that's supposed to solve everything Mm -hmm. but then i have eight different ideas that kind of create the system that kind of create this web so maybe you as a consumer uh will not read news for a certain reason. So rather than having one idea for you, I'll have three different ones that work for your personality and your lifestyle. From there, it's been just a long haul of questioning myself. Um, recently, I read uh, this blog post by some uh, PhD student that was working on their thesis, and it was called uh, Going Through the Valley of Shit. <laughs> and I remember reading it at the time, and I was like, that's exactly where I met, where every idea that I'd come up with was just, totally garbage and I questioned all my research and then I'd find some new research that challenged half of what I had already said and then slowly figuring out ways to like pull it all back together again so I can actually get through the finish line which is coming up in about a month yeah so you had mentioned about reading what what do you read what do I read Mm -hmm. that's a non-school related non-school related that's a that's a interesting question at this point. I hmm. I've been reading a lot of news. Um, I, I I think I always have read a lot of news, but I think now that I've been going through this process, it's really diversified a lot of the news because I'm trying to figure out kind of these habits. So I'm kind of talking to students, seeing what they're doing, then I'm actually kind of having to research like, oh, okay, that's actually how you consume news. Then I'm going down these weird tracks of all of a sudden I'm reading these things I probably would never have read before on these sites that I would never read before, like BuzzFeed. Mm-hmm. You know, like, yeah, if you asked me two years ago, I would just laugh if somebody said that you'd be reading BuzzFeed articles. And I'm like, actually, I'm reading them now, but it's, I, I call it research. <laughs> um, have you found value in them? Sites like BuzzFeed have actually been hiring a lot of the editors from some of the larger news companies. And so they've been actually trying to push more higher quality journalism into these kind of entertainment news sources. Um, So it's been actually kind of interesting to see like how they're actually trying to implement that because it is still 
pretty targeted towards a younger audience, mm -hmm. but they're trying to incorporate a little bit more meaningful news within it. So that's actually been kind of interesting. There's a lot of wasted brain space in some of these areas. Mm -hmm. um, I have a growing list of books that I'd like to read, but that are not design related mm -hmm. because if you look at my library, it's very design related. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, have you guys ever read uh, Neil Stevenson? Stevenson? Okay. Mm -hmm. So one of my old uh, bosses so was talking to me about this uh, author. And it's funny because it's like when you're in grad school, like the amount that you read is crazy. Mm -hmm. and, it, and it's – and I don't even know if it's the amount. It's like this, the density of it. Mm -hmm. It's like you're reading this stuff and then it's the type of reading that you might have to read maybe two or three times to like fully grasp everything that they're trying to get within an article and have a three-hour conversation yeah. with it with five other people yeah mm -hmm. and i'm excited to not have that so yeah. even as you're going through this process and uh, when i went through it it was like oh this was really hard to like read all this material that people are giving me to read but then once you start your thesis it's like 10 times worse because you don't even know what's what's important so rather than mm -hmm. finding like somebody telling you these are the important ones to read you're reading like 10 different articles just to get to that same point. Maybe you find one article that's good, but the amount of time you spent reading is like, it's still just over the top. Yeah. 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 And then you begin to comprehend how little of it you've actually gone through, oh, yeah. <laughs> which is the sad part. <laughs> yeah. It, it's funny. It's like we have these, uh, the way mine was structured was we'd have to read uh, like maybe three articles in a week and then we'd have to discuss it and write a paper about it. And then I remember by the end of the quarter, we would kind of mention some of these readings that we had, and I would be like, I, I totally remember parts of it. I I can't remember who wrote it, though. And then, like, <laughs> it's just, like, all these blank spots in your mind. And, like, I spent so much time trying to figure that out, and then I still can't fully remember all of it. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see, like, in a year or two, I'm going to pull out that box of readings and be like, oh, yeah, I, I did read this. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. I think so far that's been – at least for me, one of the biggest downfalls yeah. has been like the the sheer quantity, the density, but also the speed of it yeah. also sometimes feels like it's detracting from retention yeah. um, and think, reflection. But it's one of those things like I think I've had some of the most interesting discussions about some of the readings outside of the classroom with some of my fellow classmates. Yeah. So, Do you think that what happened at that moment of – having conversations outside the classroom, however it was created, is that something similar to what you're looking to do with your, um, with your own thesis project of how students, how young adults um, engage in news and interact with news? Yeah. I think, uh, yeah, one of my ideas was around this dinner party idea, and it's kind of around the socialization of news. So it's like, creating this kind of social environment where people are actually talking about news. So even if news doesn't matter to me, it might matter to the person sitting next to me. And like actually hearing them talk about it and understanding that, oh, I've kind of heard a little bit about that, but I've never really looked into it because it didn't seem that important. But then suddenly I realized that Chad finds it really important, maybe for research or personal or family kind of stuff or friends. And so how does that kind of tie into, like, if I am suddenly more aware of the news affecting the people around me, will it actually be more important for, or interesting for me to read? And so I've spent a little bit more, a little bit of time on that for sure. And I think it's kind of a fascinating thing. Like, I remember growing up, 
I would talk about news around the dinner table with my family. And, I mean, it wasn't anything super heavy, but it was like, what's going on in the world? It's kind of different. Like, once you go into college, you don't really have that same kind of system in place. Like, uh, the normal rituals of getting a newspaper don't apply anymore. Um, mm-hmm. Watching news at 6 o'clock on television doesn't apply anymore because they don't have televisions. Um, so when are they getting news? Uh, when are they talking about it? Like, their new water cooler of news is Facebook. And so recently I read this uh, – I think I can't remember which group did the study on millennials reading news and they say like, oh yeah, we're interested in all these topics, but where do they mostly get their news sources from is from Facebook or Twitter and mm-hmm. the social aspect around news. And it's, it's really interesting to see that. And as being somebody that's a little bit older than them, it's kind of fascinating because I looked at my news feed and if that was the place that I got my news, that is a really sad, scary idea that think that that is one of my main news sources mm-hmm. what were some of your failed thesis ideas like what didn't make it this far <laughs> um so i don't know there were so many that failed what about other yeah. topics completely were you i mean topics yeah besides news uh, where else was i going down uh so my family is half my family's in Japan. So one of the ideas mm-hmm. that I was going down originally was with uh helping contact or helping find ways to communicate when the communication channels are down during national disasters. So my uncle was not a politician, but he was in that kind of like volunteer service with the uh, government. And so when the tsunami hit, he had to go down to the Fukushima mm-hmm. where the plant was at and so my family was freaked out but you read all the news articles and it's really freaky and scary but then I have no idea actually what's going on and even when lines come up it's like I have no way of helping them so I was trying to figure out ways that as a person that's in the US during this time like I'm not going to be able to fly out there I'm not a search and rescue person and mm-hmm. maybe money is not the best way of doing stuff but like are there other ways as a community that we can be involved with to help these kind of natural disaster stuff Mm-hmm. But then not even that was broad. I don't know. I, I think I struggled. That was one of the things, and you're going through it right now, is figuring out how to define the problem space that you want to be working in. Mm-hmm. And, like, there's so many different areas you could be going in. And even when you go into one, you pick a problem and it's still too large and you still have to narrow it down. And I think I struggled with that a lot my uh, spring quarter last year for sure. Mm-hmm. it's an interesting process for sure yeah it's one of those things i don't think i really understood about academia until i stood like stepped back into it was you look at these projects and you're just like that's so narrow yeah like it's like this specific (laughs) thing at the specific (laughs) time in the specific place and like this is what happened and this is what we know about it or yeah. But now when you're in the midst of it, you're like, oh, well, I mean, there's so much about every little thing that that's, that's the only way, like, knowledge can be gained, anything meaningful, right? Yeah. Um, it, yeah. I, it was funny going through this process. I, you get these mixed messages where somebody's like, okay, you need to come up with something that adds to the design discussion and mm-hmm. what's happening in the world. So it has to be yeah. something, you know, that actually does something. It's not like you're just designing something fun. Um, the other thing is it's really a short timeline for one person to be working on this stuff. Like you can spend a lot of time researching it, but actual the design phase for one person goes by pretty fast. Yeah. Um, 
And so they were telling me, like, it really, it's only a 10-week design project. And then you're like, okay, so I have these grand ideas, but really I only have a certain amount of time to do stuff within it. So how do I kind of figure out that? And it's kind of like finding that small niche where you can actually do something about it and design something for it. I think you mentioned something there about graduate thesis work being some sort of contribution to the greater design field. Mm -hmm. And I think that's maybe one thing we haven't talked about as much as you as somebody going to grad school for interaction design, right? How does that play into something like the news, right? Because <laughs> a lot of people, that won't make sense to a lot of people, I would imagine, and yeah. that connection. And I'm just curious as to, you know, what your perspective on that is. I don't know if I'd agree with that okay. to a certain extent. Yeah, um, please disagree. I think, I think no matter what topic, mm -hmm. I don't think you can design for design's sake. Yeah, You know, like, I think you can talk theory around stuff, but unless you have examples of what you're talking about, it's really hard to kind of mm -hmm. justify it as, as a designer, as a researcher. Yeah. Um, and you have to start somewhere. And there's problems within design, but design isn't anything without what's happening outside of design mm -hmm. and figuring out what those areas that you're interested in and what could use your help. Uh, news, I think, is – and consumption is a very design problem to me. Mm -hmm. I think when I, if you asked me when I was an undergrad about doing stuff around news, I would just imagine like newspapers and designing different newspaper layouts and stuff. Yeah, and, yeah. and I think it's so different now, especially mm -hmm. the way that people are consuming news. Yeah. I feel like I've been stealing the show. Well, no, I think that that's great. <laughs> well, I'm staring. Uh, I have all sorts of things open up, and right now, oh, <laughs> what I have open up is your Instagram feed. <laughs> it's it's cute because you know it's baby, 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 design project, design lecture, baby, 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 design thesis. <laughs> <laughs> How do you balance that that perspective of when you are at home and Theo is in front of you? Yeah, that. Are you able to turn it off? Are you able to to be there, to be just in that moment? Some days are harder than other days, for sure. We have a strict rule right now that we're trying to enforce where there's no screen time, so he can't see the screen. So in the back of my mind when I first started thesis stuff and we're talking about, okay, we're having a baby, I was thinking, you know, I can have him on my lap and I can still be working. And then when we realized, like, you know, maybe that's not the best way of interacting with your child is mm -hmm. working with him on your lap. And I think we've tried really hard to figure out ways that I can take time when I really need it to focus on thesis and having that support. Like Andrea has been an amazing support for me when I need that extra time. She helps figure out ways for me to get it. And then I realize that she needs some time too. And I need that Theo time. Mm -hmm. And I tell, I'll tell you that it, Theo has given me an amazing perspective on what's important sometimes. You know, like sometimes it's just a thesis. You know, it's just a project. It's, it's not going to define my life from the rest of my life. Uh, Theo is a much bigger project and much more important, and I want to make sure that he grows up as a healthy, bright young man. Um, and part of that is me being part of his life, and I think I put a lot of value to that. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes I think some people would be like, you're losing time because you have to spend time with your child, but I also feel like that is actually giving me a lot more of an advantage because I can step away from what I'm working on. And there's nothing better than, like, seeing my son. You know, like, 
when he rolls over for the first time, which happened two weeks ago, uh, when he wakes up in the morning and I go into his room to pick him up and he's just beaming, you know, and he's smiling. And I'm like, oh, Thesis can wait for a little bit. You know? <laughs> and it's hard, but I also realize, you know, finding that balance is maybe I'm losing sleep, which I am losing sleep. Like I'm not getting the sleep that I probably need. Uh, but I do see an end sight. You know, there's an end to this thesis that I've, as a student and as somebody who's working on this project, I've committed myself. Like, I'm not going to half-ass and just kind of do the bare minimum to get through. Like, I'm going to try my hardest within finding that balance and realizing, you know, I've, I've decided that I want some balance and that there's going to be an end. So those are my, those are my key thoughts in my head. That's a great insight to have, especially early on in your career, whereas someone like myself, my daughter is seven, and I feel like just now am I having that realization of this project will not define the rest of my life. Yeah. This this project will end in one, two months, what have you, and my daughter will continue. Yeah. And so keeping the perspective of that is is something that has taken me a very long time to, to figure out. I feel like my my faculty for all for all the stuff that they've given me, they've been very supportive of the realization that Theo is a very important thing to me. And I don't think that they want to look me to look back on this time and be angry with them because they pulled me away from my child. And that I don't think should be the thesis. Like your thesis experience. You don't want to think about like, oh, I hated my thesis because I didn't give enough time to my child. And I don't think that they want that from me either. Um, I think. Are there any questions that you have for us? I don't know that much about you, JP. Like, Chad's told me bare minimum. (laughs) (laughs) Just the highlights. Just the highlights. Um, Why did you guys decide to start this Mm. podcast? Well, I think you answered it last time for Ryan, so yeah. I'm going to answer it this okay. time All right. for Scott. <laughs> Once Chad graduated, and even before graduation, we would have these good conversations about projects that either I was working on or ideas that I had. And one of the things that Chad has been very good about being is my accountability buddy. <laughs> That's a phrase that he came up with or, or told me about a couple of years ago. And just recently did it come back to us in our recent podcast. In that, he would say, I would come to him and say, Chad, wouldn't it be great if we did this? And I always said, we. <laughs> <laughs> because I also uh, feel like I work very well in a team. So wouldn't it be great if we did this? Wouldn't it be great if we did this? And he is very methodical and uh, always ask the right question, which is, and <laughs> to go a little bit further as to what is the meaning of it, what why do it or what have you. So finally, I was listening to podcasts um, throughout the summer and I said, we should make a podcast. We should do this. We should do these things. And he said, do it. Let's, let's start it right now and we're like oh okay let's let's do it and and so we took it on and we decided um there is a a niche out there of design education 
and it spans the the spectrum of user experience to visual communications to just basic design. But a lot of times there are people that are interested in it but don't know what they're going to get themselves into or they had an experience but weren't exactly sure is that the way that everyone goes through it. What I wanted to be able to do was give them an insight, especially to someone who is new in their career. A lot of podcasts and a lot of articles are written about people once they already are famous and not when they are in the midst of becoming famous or at the early stages of their fame. And so one of the things that I really wanted to focus on is to have a space, to have a piece that we can say, here's what it's like to be you and what have you done in order to become you? And hopefully the audience is listening and saying, I'm doing the exact same thing. So there is, I am on the right road. Or this path does look familiar in some way, shape, or form. I should continue down this path. Or, wow, I didn't know I could do that. And maybe I should start doing that. Or, or whatever it is. But something that becomes much more relatable yeah. as opposed to... I went to grad school for two years. I went to undergraduate for four years. I got a job, a junior designer, senior designer, art director, and now, you know, I'm making millions. Maybe not millions, <laughs> but I, I'm winning awards and, and so forth. You know, design is not just about the award making and the mm -hmm. development of um, of awesome designs for corporations. There's a variety of different things. There's, like, your projects that you're working on. There are um, smaller little things, and each of them needs an audience of some sort or, or a, an opportunity to be on a, on a pedestal and say, this is important, this is fascinating, and there's an opportunity for you to be on top of it, uh, on the pedestal. So this is why we do – this is design school. Yeah. <laughs> this is why we have it. Um, it's because it's a, it's a constant learning experience, uh, both for myself and I would – I'm going to speak for Chad, for Chad as well, and hopefully for for the audience as well as the interview is to, to give that retrospective of here's what I have been doing for the last several years yeah. with my life. I didn't think about it that way. Wow, that's great. And now uh, the reason why we always ask the interviewee to give us the name of the next interviewee is because we want it to be a continuation of the conversation. So your circle of influence is probably going to continue um, to mold uh, a larger conversation that we will have. I think uh, it's interesting you the way that you're framing the reason for doing this show. Um, because you're talking to me about current status versus like what happened to me when I was an undergrad and then came out. Because we never really talked about that. Mm -hmm. um, are you guys interested in that information? Are you guys more interested nope. in the now? We're interested in all sorts of things. Okay. The You're the first one that we have had a conversation with that is currently in grad school. Yeah. And so I think that was very exciting for us. Yeah. Is students that are listening to this that are in undergraduate, can they see themselves or can they hear about what it's like to be in grad oh, yeah. school? But by all means, what is what was it like to be an undergraduate? Um, I think – this is how my old professor described us because we would go up for the professional practice class. And he would describe when my business partner and I started up our company, he said, this is exactly what you guys should not be thinking of doing. And he was like, 
I'm not quite even sure how they were successful. And, and even I'll say I, I was surprised that we lasted more than a year or two. Um, but it's interesting to see that dynamic now. Like back then, I think it was pretty bizarre for young students to just leave and start up their own thing. Currently now, I think it's actually a lot of opportunities for like startups. And so I've seen a lot of really good stories of people coming out of undergrad actually deciding, you know what, I have this really great idea. I want to do something rather than, you know, the normal track when I was coming out was, yes, I'm going to become a junior designer and then I will become a designer. And then after that, maybe I'll become a senior designer. And you see these title type ideas. And that's my perspective on how I'm going to evolve as a designer. And it, I think it's really fascinating right now just to see that that isn't the case. Like, that doesn't have to be the case anymore. And I think it's very much more supported than it's ever been with, like, the hackathon type idea around design where, you know what, we can come up with these great ideas while we're in college and then we can work on it. And then when we're done, we'll graduate. Why don't we just do it? You know, and, like, we're so passionate about this idea maybe. Why should we give it to, like, some other corporation to run? Why don't like, we can work in our garage. We can, you know, it doesn't take money to develop. Like, I can, we just meet another developer on campus. You know, we have all these resources. And I think that is an interesting thing to me that's going on right now. I and mean, even as a grad student, like, I've been approached by some of my the classmates that I've had in the past and the people that have recently graduated. And they're like, well, what are your next steps? Because they know that you started up a company. And they're like, well, why don't we just start up our own thing? It's not like you need to go back to another studio again. Why don't we just do it? You know, like we have these ideas we can just follow and just do. And I think that's kind of an interesting route too, even as an undergrad or grad student to be like, I don't know what my next steps are. And it's kind of a fascinating thing. And coming from the amount of experience that I have, it's kind of this weird thing. Like, I don't know what I'm going to do. Like a lot of people ask me, like I could go back to my old studio um, I have been talking to other studios that do similar type work. Um, I've talked to these other cor- companies that I have no experience doing anything that they've done, but I've found that I'm actually really interested in what they're doing. And there's people that have approached me to say, well, why don't we just do our own thing? And it's a, it's an interesting thing. Like I didn't know what to expect coming out of this, whether my mindset was I was going to evolve and chances are I'd probably go back to the studio I was at before. But now as I've gone through two years of questioning a lot of things and then meeting some interesting people and then saying, oh, maybe there's other opportunities out there, it, it's left me more confused than even before. Uh, not in a bad way, though. It's kind of made me excited. that I don't know if these opportunities are just in my head sometimes, but like I feel like there are more opportunities than I ever imagined, even if they haven't gone through or if they're going to go through which is kind of exciting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I think that is a really interesting idea because, I don't know, in the back of my mind, that's always been like, maybe that should be in my 10-year plan is yeah. to s- start something. But the idea is I always think, well, I'm not ready yet. I need yeah. to get some experience here, and then I need to get some experience there. And things like that, but this is what I found, and I think this is what made my first company successful was we didn't have any restrictions. Like we could do whatever we wanted to do. We could talk to whatever clients we wanted to do. And I wasn't married. Um, I I knew Andrea, but we weren't even going out yet. And so I was like, you know what? 
we're free. Like for it's the one chance in your life you don't you're not married, you don't have a kid, you don't have a mortgage to pay. You I'm not saying that people should just go do it, but like sometimes when you get into your career cuz you're like, well, maybe I'll do I have this great idea, but I'll do it in maybe 5 years. And then mm-hmm. 5 years somebody's going to do your idea. And then you're going to sit there and you're like, well, I'm in a pretty good job now. So why take that risk now? Then all of a sudden, like, you, you're you in a relationship or and you've got a mortgage. And you're like, you know, I'd like to do that, but I don't know if that's ever actually going to happen now. Yeah. Um, and then there's the other side where I think there are people that I've met that have gone through the process of that same kind of thing. But it's taken a really, really long time where they've gone through these steps and they've gotten to the top where they think that they can't learn anymore. Then they're like, okay, now I'm going to take that risk and try it because they know they can easily step back and be like, okay, it didn't work out. I can get another job. You know, yeah. they've got a lot of connections. And so it's that there's this weird thing where I think there's a lot of hopes and aspirations and it's actually not that hard to start something. I think it's, I think it's the scary part to start something, but I don't think you should be scared of those kind of opportunities when they show up, whether I had a friend that, even when they were working, was getting up at like five in the morning and meeting with their friend. His friend, there's three guys that would meet every morning at five o'clock, and they would be like, "Okay, we're going to meet. We're going to build this thing. We have this idea, and they're super passionate about it." And then they were super excited. Versus like when you're in your job after a while, sometimes not everybody, but sometimes it becomes just a job, you know. And you have other things like children that become this other priority in your life. And so you sit there and you're like, you know what? Design isn't all my life. And so then you have all these other things in your head. So it's, I don't know, it's an interesting thing. Like I see people that have the best ideas, but they're so afraid to pursue them sometimes that they miss out on opportunities. And it doesn't mean that you have to decide sometimes. You can still be a junior designer, but still meet up with friends and brainstorm awesome ideas or be in grad school and start up a podcast. And then Mm -hmm. all of a sudden your podcast could take off. You know, it doesn't mean that you have to choose if for one or the other, but you have to realize that sometimes the routes that people tell you are, this is how to become a successful designer are different for everybody. Mm -hmm. You were talking about how it's really easy to get to this certain comfortable point because you begin to have more and more responsibilities, whether that's a mortgage or a relationship or responsibilities in a job that you feel like you need to keep or hang on to. But at the very beginning of our conversation, you were even referencing that you felt like you'd gotten to a point of comfortability and that your way of getting out and going on to that next thing was (laughs) stepping out of it and going back to school. Yeah. And, yeah. I I've I think when people meet me, like I've got I'm pretty loyal and I think that's what made me last so long within the company that I started. But I always do things that push myself outside of my comfort zone because mm-hmm. I feel like that's the way that I'm going to grow more. And so when I was at the last company I was at and they were like, "Well, this is the offer we have for you." Chances are when you get out, you it's not like I'm going to suddenly jump up another level just because I went through a thesis program and they're like a lot of people go through a thesis program to get to this level why are you going back to grad school you know it's like do you really need to go back to grad school and as somebody who hadn't been in like been in school for 14 years grad school was one of the scariest ideas for me to actually go into because I knew like 
meeting Chad in grad school, and I look at him, I'm like, wow, if only I was that smart when I was his age. Like, the things I could have done. You know, and it's like, you realize, as a designer, yes, I've evolved, and there's certain things that I'm probably better than the younger designers are at. But there's also this level that these young designers have the opportunity and could potentially be better than me really fast. And it's really exciting. And I was telling one of the people I was talking to, to go into the school and then see what some of these people can kind of ideate and brainstorm and come up with that. I, there's no way. And in the back of my head, I'm like, there's no way I would have come up with that because I have these professional blinders on that. I'm like, the client would never accept that. And it would only go this far Mm -hmm. and the money wise, it would only go this far. And so there's really no value in pursuing this kind of idea versus some of them do not have that at all. And so they will push forward and you'd be like, that's the only opportunity you're ever going to get to actually push forward on some of that. Like once you're in, once you're at a job, you're not going to be working on that kind of project sometimes. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. It's, it's exciting. It's kind of intimidating as somebody that's a little bit older than some of the other students. Like, I don't know. It's funny. It's, it's scary to be older in a undergrad program. And I think some people hide it better than others. And some people, I don't know. I, I don't think people would use it as an excuse to ever like leave or kind of check themselves out, but it is one thing that I don't think people take into consideration as a younger person coming back to grad school. Mm-hmm. Have you thought about teaching? Um, that has been one of the main reasons why I went back to grad school. I would love to teach. I don't know if I'm ready to teach full-time right away. Um, I have a really good relationship with my undergrads. I went to... Western up in Bellingham and did my undergrad through their program. And I have a really good relationship with the, one, uh, two of the professors there. And they've always been super friendly and super supportive. They knew even when I applied for the design program as whatever, a sophomore or whatever, I had said that my goal is I would love to teach design. And that's why I did art education as well as graphic design. And that's why I thought I took the GRE. I was like, I'll need the GRE to get my master's degree. It makes perfect sense if I'm going to become a teacher. And yes, I would love to. I don't know when that's going to happen. I don't know if I want to rush into that. And I think the field that I'm in, especially like when I say interaction design, it's so different than even when I went to college. It's fascinating to see them teach interaction design at UW. Uh, It's awesome and it's inspiring, but it's also realize makes me realize there's so much more that I want to learn within the field and do within the field of design teaching I don't know what made you go in did you work before going into teaching for a little bit or? I did yeah. yeah and I um I went to grad school actually because I I missed the critiques oh. I I missed the the opportunity to have conversations with people about just the design process and it was probably my second semester of my first year that I realized, you know what? I really like this. I, I had a TA position and, and I wanted to have more. Yeah. And, and so I decided roughly around then that I wanted to, to stay in academia and, and teach. That's cool. Yeah. I wanted to bring up something and maybe this is off to the side of our conversation. So you talked about the faculty being this thing, you like your teaching and it's like groundhog's day. And then it's like, you have one year, two years, and then they're kind of gone. I feel sometimes that we're just an experiment. Like a student is just an experiment that, you know, you could fail at, but, you know, it's only like for a year or so. And then 
you can kick that one to the curb and be like, yeah, we tried, you know. But there's also this men- like mentality that's like, you know, it's only two years with this person. Like, you, there's going to be some rock stars, of course, and there's going to be some outliers that you know you don't really know what they're going to do when they graduate, but they'll have a degree in designer. Um, how how do you feel about that? Do you do you feel like that you have enough time to deal like help the students? Do you end up like choosing to a certain extent to help students? I don't want to call you out, but I think it's a, this is where I get frustrated with some mm-hmm. of the school. As somebody who's interested in being in academics and somebody who is in academics right now, like there's this kind of level where it's like some people I feel like can be like, you know what? We Even if that person puts up a fight at this point, it doesn't really matter because they're going to be gone in like a couple months. Mm-hmm. So like let's just not deal with it kind of a thing. So my uh, my classes are capped at fifteen students. Oh, cool. I, I have a because I teach at a, a small liberal arts school. So fifteen students that I get in the, in the hundred level class, and of that, I I tried to I'd like to think I try to teach as unbiased as possible. So everyone is at the same equal level. It is then the student's requirement or responsibility to actually show more interest in design. So uh-huh. you could you can get the vanilla flavor that I'm going to be scooping to you, <laughs> and that's all you get, and yeah. that's fine, um, because everyone will get it equally. Yeah. But it is the students that come in wanting the sprinkles and the waffle cone and the nuts. Yeah. I really want ice cream right now. <laughs> <laughs> it's those students that then get more. Yeah. So if... What I like to tell students is that if you want more, you get more. you got to ask for more. And if you ask for more, then you get more. But for students who don't, then, no, I, you know, I, if I see some talent, I will certainly, you know, tap them on the shoulder and say, you should push this even further. This is, But that is part of, I would say, the vanilla of, mm. of the teaching process yeah. is that you see the potential, you identify it, you – tell that to them in the critique in the mid critique area so that way it's not at the end of the process but give them an opportunity to to keep building it offer you know any chance that you can but i i never go beyond that i never say um i'm not the type of instructor who is trying to handhold them the whole way through yeah and uh part of that has has given me a a um personality amongst the students a, a, a certain I have, a, I have a certain reputation that at least Chad's year and previous <laughs> to that knew of and that was that I had high expectations mm-hmm. and I, I aimed for excellence and above and so your minimum grade was excellence and then you moved up from there these days I think I'm probably more of um you should really just pass the class. Yeah. And if you want more than that, then I expect excellence. So there's no gray area in between. Like yeah. If you ask me for something, I'm going to give you a lot. And if I give you a lot, I expect you to give me even more back and so forth. So that way it's it, they understand that they have self-identified themselves as wanting more. And so therefore I want more from them. Yeah. I don't know if that's a good – process or not but it is the one that i have and well how how do you you have gone through it you have been one of those 
people on the receiving end. Is, was that a good idea? I think so. I mean, I remember your, you or the first class I took with you was the first class in which there was textbooks assigned, but there was no reading schedule. <laughs> and I remember we got probably about three way three quarters of the way through the semester and somebody finally said you made us buy all these books but we haven't used them yet and you went why haven't you used them (laughs) (laughs) and it was like that moment of realization that you expected us to really guide our own education and figure out a lot of things and you would help us fill in the gaps and kind of push us in the right direction, but you weren't going to put us on a leash in any way. I think that's a, that's a really good analogy there. Um, One of the things that I think in, in your time at PLU, I would always say was education, your college education is kind of like a a hand with five fingers and I'm just the thumb. Mm Mm-hmm. I am not the rest of your education. You know, that is your own research. That's your own experiences. That's your other classes. It's, you know, what else it is. But it, that mentality of I give you the tools, that doesn't mean that I'm going to handhold you yeah. in order to make sure that you use all the tools. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's a good response. Thanks. So, Scott, there's one thing that we always ask towards the end. If you were kind of in the mindset of, who our target audience is, right? Younger designers or people who are trying to work their way into the field. Who is it that you would want to talk to or hear from that you know Mm -hmm. that you think would be interesting? Essentially, we're asking who should should we talk to next? Who should you guys talk to next? I think I would be fascinated to talk to some of the grad students that have actually left the program to see mm-hmm. kind of where they ended up at and how how they evolved like going through this process it's hard for me to see that next step but like that person that's gone that next step yeah um are you guys looking for names in particular just one name mm-hmm. um one so i from my perspective it'll be interesting to talk to somebody that's recently graduated so mm-hmm. i don't know that many um one is john cook what chad you've met john before mm-hmm. Uh, he's local. Um, he really kind of went through his master's program and then ended up in a field that he wanted to be based off of the research he did in his graduate program. So I think he'd be kind of interesting as well. Mm-hmm. And what would be the question that you would want to ask? Um, how do you feel that grad school prepared you for what you're doing now would be the top one? That's a good one. Well, Scott, again, thank you very much for taking time out of your uh, busy schedule of both your Theo life as well as your (laughs) thesis life to come and talk to us. Yeah, thanks for having me on your show. Mm -hmm. Thanks, Scott.